This is The Saucer Life, a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people orbiting the world of flying saucers. Few preconceptions, snark when justified, no belief, no debunking, no escape for the cabal. This is intergalactic diplomacy. You may have heard of Dr. Richard J. Boylan. We've seen him a couple times on episodes here of The Saucer Life. Uh, he showed up talking about his well, we, he showed up with us talking about his peculiarly positive vision of the abduction experience in our episode, Little Gray Men. And in our episode about the book, Cito's New Friends, we discussed his star kid workshops that he hosts. Today, we're going to take a deeper dive into Boylan's view of the cosmos and his particular place in it. As we do, we'll see the ways in which the lines between researcher, experiencer, full-blown contactee, and diplomat can be blurry. And I do want to say, before we get started with the whoosh and the rest of the show, that um, this material is is largely based on research I'm doing for the new book that I am almost done writing on positive or triumphalist conspiracy theories and conspiratorial narratives in uh, the late 20th century. So um, this is uh, this is stuff I, I sort of thought would be good for the show from work I was doing on the chapter about UFO disclosure. So here we go. So Boylan had a positive view of the aliens who were abducting sounds so negative. So let's say meeting with humans. And I, I should, in the spirit of being all boiliny, uh, not use the word aliens. Uh, aliens is a uh, is an offensive term. He's pointed out in some of his writings because it, it, it denotes something or someone who is different. Uh, he uses extraterrestrials, but I can never say extraterrestrial consistently without having to do it like 18 times because I get all mush mouthed. I'm going to stick with aliens, you know, unless I don't. Anyway, his first book on the subject, 1994's Close Extraterrestrial Encounters, consists mostly of a number of alien contact accounts from his patients, as well as one of his own. And Boylan describes the culture and characteristics of the various extraterrestrial species he and his patients meet. ETs seem to place a low value on the fervent acquisition of material goods and a high value on reverencing life in the many forms in which life manifests itself. This reverence appears to underlie the motive for a number of E.T. races to visit Earth and communicate with humans. Because the E.T.s generally venerate life, they respect the ecosystem of our planet, and they are distressed by what we are doing by degrading the planet and thus our own habitat, health, and future. And because they reverence life, they reverence the life spark for which our bodies are containers. They wish to see our optimal human development unfold. Boylan also presents a summary of what the extraterrestrials want humanity to know. He's gained this knowledge from his patients, and many of the lessons concern conflict and Earth's future. The impressions he received from his patients have included the following sort of phrases that he quoted. The ETs don't understand our constant quarreling and conflict. The ETs are here to help us. There will be profound changes in the next 10 years. 
I get the feeling it will evolve into peace and harmony. There are coming cataclysms for California and for the Earth, but these are birth pains, transformation. They told me, we won't leave you in this state. I feel I'm helping to usher in the golden age. They tell me it'll be all right. The coming out will occur very soon. Those who are mentally prepared will fare well in the changes coming soon. A real transformation. There's a prophetic quality to Boylan's presentation of these uh, alien encounters that comes through in, in these impressions from his patients. Humanity has to abandon its wasteful and warlike habits to make way for a better future. And this is basically 1950s and 60s contactee stuff, really. Like the beings encountered by Adamski and others, these space visitors are flesh and blood beings or the, I don't know, alien equivalent of flesh and blood, space flesh and space blood, maybe. Um, they're They're... They're physical beings, and Boylan emphasizes that they're not spirits, uh, they're not interdimensional projections or, or holograms, he says. But unlike the contact details of earlier decades, these beings are not human in appearance. Boylan's updated uh, the, the sort of trappings of his aliens to reflect the UFO culture of the 90s, swapping the jumpsuited blonde men of the 50s for the more exotic creatures, praying mantis-looking aliens and, and blue zetas and things like that. Another significant difference between traditional contact details and what Boylan's talking about is the sense of, of sort of inevitability. And it's uh, sort of one of the words I'm using in this, this research project, the sense of triumphal inevitability. The extraterrestrials are organized into a galactic alliance or government that Earth could one day join. And while the aliens have concerns about humanity's violent ways and possession of nuclear weapons, our inability to care for our children and, and our destructive behavior towards the environment, they're not going to force humanity to change. This is still very contactee-ish. But even though the aliens aren't going to force us to do anything, Boylan is very convinced that humanity will experience a coming golden age and the aliens are going to help Earth get there. They're trying to, in his words, accelerate our development by genetic engineering. Those who are mentally prepared, as it said in the, uh, the, the clip there, will be the winners in this new world, including Boylan. Contactees presented humanity as having a, a choice, peace or war. This was the same choice other planets had to make in the past, and those spacefaring folks who visited Earth, while they couldn't directly intervene, they couldn't interfere, um, they, were, they were nudging us along. They were providing us a vision of what could be. The future, back in the depths of the Cold War, was still in flux, right? But for Boylan, the future is, is, is a fait accompli. It's, it's already written, and he is on the winning side. Boylan, like most researchers in the UFO field, contended that there was a government cover-up going on. And Boylan became convinced that he personally was being targeted for persecution in 1995 when he was accused of inappropriate behavior by a number of patients. The patients, women whose diagnoses included substance abuse, post-traumatic stress disorder, and other things resulting from childhood sexual trauma, accused Boylan of leading them into claims of extraterrestrial contact during hypnosis sessions, as well as taking them to supposed UFO landing sites and UFO conventions. The accusation that has gained the most traction in the UFO field was that Boylan, here in this um, snippet from the state of California hearing, held, where he's labeled respondent, held therapy sessions in a hot tub. Respondent said that part of the meeting would be in the hot tub and that no suits were allowed. Respondent did not allow bathing suits in his hot tub because he believed residual detergent in the suits left soap scum in the tub. 
Ah, the old, no suits because of residual detergent causing soap scum in the hot tub routine. It's, it's a classic. I, I think, um, I think uh, you know, many sleazy people have done this over the years. So state authorities in California stripped Boylan of his counseling credentials, which seems to have pushed him further into the UFO field. In the December 1995 open letter to the UFO community, whoever they are, Boylan explained that he was railroaded by the California Psychology Licensing Board, uh, which he asserted had been influenced by a number of military officials, such as one of the expert witnesses, a Jeffrey Youngren, quote, a psychologist who has never treated extraterrestrial encounters, but is a current army colonel in a unit with its headquarters at the Pentagon, end quote. Boylan denied the accusations and instead decided to, rather than defend himself, attack those women who had brought the concerns in the first place. The board chose to accept the false, coached allegations from persons whom court records established had histories as frankly, homely, grossly obese, lesbian, poor, or welfare-dependent substance abusers who had been suing for money. My God. You know, suing for money, as opposed to suing for, you know, Brazil nuts or antique floor tiles. In March 1997, Boylan penned another open letter addressed to the UFO cover-up, whoever they are. This letter represents a turning point, as Boylan moves from being primarily an abduction researcher to a, a prophet of imminent UFO disclosure. In the letter, he differentiates between various levels of the UFO cover-up. At the lower level, he says, is the, quote, relatively mild official U.S. government cover-up, end quote. This is comprised of a basic policy of official denial, he says. And this is basically the conception of the UFO cover-up that dates back to the 1950s, to Donald Kehoe and NICAP and the paper curtain of official denial of the flying saucers by the Air Force. There is also a higher level of a cover-up, not just denying UFOs exist and covering up the evidence and you know not investigating sightings thoroughly. There's something else going on that is much more sinister. An outlaw privatized pseudo-government organization's aggressive and criminal cover-up, replete with unauthorized UFO shootdowns, kidnapping, forcible interrogation, mind control experimentation, and torture of civilian experiencers and captured extraterrestrials, nationwide disinformation campaigns, and vicious intimidation, assaults upon or character assassinations of civilians who get too close to the truth. He personally has been on the receiving end of that character assassination, right? Back in 1995 from the grossly obese women, I guess. Obviously, Boylan had gotten too close to the truth. Now, both of these models or or levels of cover-up would soon, Boylan assures us, come to an end. Why? Because the star visitors themselves are going to take steps. This spring will occur the first of a series of formal landings and meetings between extraterrestrial emissaries and Earth representation teams. These meetings are for the purpose of beginning open and official communication between the visiting star nations and the general people of Earth. Since the official governments of the technologically developed countries have declined to be honest with their people about extraterrestrial contact, the star nations are going directly to the people. The era of open extraterrestrial contact has arrived. Now, Boylan does not explain his own role in this, but he does describe a 
system that's going to be in place to help manage this transition to a new age. And I have a feeling he sort of envisioned a pretty heavy role for himself in this. A coalition of top civilian UFO researchers, astronauts, and former Special Projects military and intelligence officers will be meeting with congressional staff to establish open, public, televised congressional hearings on the evidence these experts have seen and handled of UFO reality and extraterrestrial visitation. The effort will also extend to a United Nations presentation and will not exclude a worldwide televised public press conference. Still waiting on it, but he's going on down this road of intergalactic diplomacy a little bit, moving beyond the speculation about humanity being able to join the ET alliance that he mused on in his first book. He's now at the point of predicting specific time frames for these changes to occur, and like everybody in this genre of conspiracy narrative, failing to predict uh, time frames accurately. So Boylan is dealing with his, his vision for the future in a fictional context in his next book um, from 1996, I believe, called Project Epiphany, which I think we've covered in a brief video on the worst books I own at some point. The book's main character is Boylan's stand-in Roger McGuire and his discovery of a plan for an alien landing which would establish a diplomatic relationship between ETs and humans. This plan is in danger of being thwarted by... Janus, J-A-N-U-S in all caps. What is Janus? It's the bad guy cabal that went private without presidential authorization. Once Janus went private, it had unsupervised control of the tens of billions of dollars which it had accumulated in black accounts for use in conducting the UFO cover-up. The Janus members from certain defense industries and intelligence compartments saw to it that additional huge sums of money were secretly siphoned to Janus regularly to maintain its funding. In return, these defense corporations gained access to extremely advanced extraterrestrial science and technology. Janus also controlled an awesome empire of covert military and intelligence units operating under old national security carte blanche authority. This empire was invisibly compartmented within and parallel to the existing structures of official government military and intelligence agencies. Janus exercised influence on the Congress and National Security Council through certain of its politically well-placed members. With such influence and funding and operating in secret under color of national security with no public accountability, Janus's potential for serious abuse of power was inevitable, as was the temptation for personal enrichment and indulgence in habits which required absolute immunity from disclosure. The novel, which is longer than it seems, like all subpar novels, ends with the revelation of this entire scheme and the United Nations Secretary General declaring that efforts to prevent contact between the aliens and humanity are bad. As the Secretary General says, Janice's bad example only underscores the necessity for all of us, individuals and nations of the earth, to abandon the old ways of seeking advantage over one another. We need now to come together and acknowledge our oneness as one people of earth, and we need to prepare ourselves now to meet our cosmic future. For the remainder of the 1990s and into the very early years of the 21st century, Boylan basically promoted the stories of those whose claims matched his own and discussed the potential for the raising of human consciousness through contact with star visitors. In order for this to happen, humanity would need to become cosmic citizens in order to fully take part in the new order. Boylan saw an important role for kids in this new order as well. 
In October of 2000, he gave a talk at the annual convention of the Academy of Clinical Close Encounter Therapists on becoming a cosmic human. Looking at the question of the existence of alien civilization, sort of taking that as a settled matter, Boylan discussed the future of humanity's place in the universe. As we move into fifth world cosmic society, something a number of us have been giving some thinking to, and perhaps some of our thinking has been inspired by our star friends, it occurs to me that we need some new institutions to help nurture and build fifth world society. We're not going to be able to do it with some of the existing institutions because, frankly, most of them were created to perpetuate current society, fourth world, materialistic, industrial, earthbound perspective society. As for the institution that would be best suited to preparing a new generation for creating a new world, Boylan believed that humanity needed systemic change. Schools, as they are, are not up to the job, he says. So while we're waiting for the educational system to catch up, Boylan suggests a stopgap measure. He looks back to the 1960s, quote, our revolutionary little warm-up dry run getting us ready for cosmic society, end quote. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And he suggests setting up supplementary schools modeled on the freedom schools of the era, which he describes as places where the children of, quote, oppressed black communities and in urban centers of the oppressed black community could get a quick orientation to black history, culture, everything that was left out of the curriculum at the time, end quote. Now, doing something like this will enable humanity's children to know, quote, who they are, what they are, and what they know and will give them, quote, a sense of their role in this transition to building a cosmic society. Now, Boylan's invocation of the, the freedom schools model was, was weird to me, but he has this long history of awkwardly attempting to draw parallels between racial inequalities on Earth and human fear of aliens. He's argued, for example, that, quote, it would be a terrible thing if we were to begin a new and dark chapter in our history and in place of the yellow peril or the red menace to find a new E.T. gray menace, end quote. More offensively, uh, Boylan has denounced accounts of alien encounters that portray aliens in a, in a negative light as an attempt to turn, quote, visiting extraterrestrials into cosmic. And here he uses a vile racial slur starting with N, cosmic N, by attributing all manner of evil to them as a race, end quote. <laughs> he goes on to complain that such an attitude is false, unjust, blatantly racist, and does not belong in civilized discussions about the different races of extraterrestrials, end quote. When I first read that, back in the 90s, he, he wrote it, and it was, he was complaining about... Um, John Grace, who uh, writes, wrote as Val Valerian, he's complaining about the sort of evil gray um, stereotype and, and cosmic N-word, um, N-words is, is just, it was mind-bogglingly bad, right? So his awkward and, and offensive comments are, are a telling feature of his perspective on aliens' connection with humanity. He uses race and ethnicity as descriptors and as sort of this this lens because he's, he's sort of placing the ETs on a similar biological and anthropological spectrum as humans rather than them being utterly unlike us. So if, it, if it's a question of race um, or culture or ethnicity, we're, we're sort of on the same wavelength. And, and so in that case, human ascension to their level seems more plausible than if they're, you know, beings of pure thought or something like Ashtar. 
It's a question of political development and biological evolution rather than, you know, some sort of, you know, purely spiritual transformation. But um, he, he just, he, he, mm, wow. Yeah. So anyway, back to the, um, the young people. This evolution, he says, is, is going to be helped by the genetic manipulation of humanity and is visible through the emergence of what he calls star kids. As we, we talked about in our episode on, on CO's new friends, the star kids are going to help usher in that fifth world cosmic society. And these star kids are the, uh, the subject of his 2004 book, Star Kids, the emerging cosmic generation here. He describes the Star Kids in, in comic book terms, suggesting that um, the then recent Marvel X Men films are an example of art imitating life. No, it's an example of film imitating comic books. But he says the mutant X Men who work to protect a humanity that hates and fears them is that's what the Star Kids are doing. They're children with human and extraterrestrial origins. They have two human parents, they're born on Earth, but they're partially alien. How does this happen? A number of different ways. One way is that the parents can have star visitor genes spliced into their reproductive material at some point in their lives, which would result in alien-ish offspring. Um, they can sort of adapt an already born child with their biomedical technology. There can be walk-ins in which a, a sick or dying child's soul is replaced with a star visitor soul. Um, or a, a star kid could be born by way of, quote, the deliberately chosen missionary incarnation of a star visitor into a human body, which is, he says, the most prevalent origin of the star kids. So Boylan's research methods for determining the number of star kids that are around is, is worth looking at. And, and it's it, I snark when justified. Here we go. In 2004, as part of his research, he undertook a study to determine the number of star kids in the general population. His methodology was, I think the best word is subjective. The earliest phase involved this process. Random informal sampling on several continents utilizing detection methods such as the size of children's auras, the degree of precocious development and abilities in children, high intelligence, novel thinking styles, pronounced psychic abilities, and the large dimensions of their bodily energy fields. So how does this actually work? He conducted what he called surveys of young people, um, where he basically would sit and observe them walking by. Um, and he, he tried to get a diverse sample. He went to Disney World. He went to, quote, a Walmart in a poverty area of South Sacramento where there is a substantial mix of ethnicities. And another quote, an area of Sacramento notorious for violent crime, hard drugs trafficking, and gang drive-by shootings, end quote. Observing children in the area, Boylan used dowsing rods to detect the star kids. These dowsing rods are used to compare the relative sizes of the bioelectromagnetic photic fields around an individual if they are a star kid or a star seed adult versus the size of their field if they are an ordinary human. As you might expect, the bioelectromagnetic photic field, what I also call their energy signature, around a star kid is so considerably larger than the one around an ordinary human that there is no chance of confusing the two. Now, you might be thinking right now that he's using dowsing rods to detect their energy signature and comparing these to normal kids. This does not sound 
like a reliable way to detect who might have extraterrestrial genetic material in their DNA. But don't worry. He had a quality control protocol that he followed, a whole system to ensure that, that things were, were all on the up and up. I intermittently cross-checked with the visual survey of the person's aura to determine whether comparative radius of the person's aura was consistent with comparative radius of bioelectromagnetic photic energy around a given person. So, you dang dirty skeptics, he didn't just check the kids with dowsing rods, he also double-checked it by looking at the kids' auras visually. I mean, come on, this is, this is basic stuff. And I'm sure everyone was just fine with the elderly man sitting there with a stick, staring at kids and taking notes. Just, it's weird. Using these methods, anyway, anyway, using these methods, Boylan concluded that as of 2004 in the United States, among children who were 12 and under, 96% were star kids. Yes, 96% were star kids which is massive. That doesn't even include the star kids over the age of 12 and adult star seeds. Surely the new cosmic age is on the way. 96%. Good grief. And that was 16 years ago. I mean, gosh, there's probably some of them in Congress, right? He also informs the star kids and their families who might be reading about the geopolitical context that they'll have to operate in as they work for this new fifth world cosmic society. And he, he sort of updates his description of the cabal here. The cabal, as used around enlightened UFO circles, refers to a clack of global-scale plutocratic manipulators who use their immense wealth, prestige, and power to control governments and economies to perpetuate their stranglehold on global society. This group is comprised of the most selfish, megalomaniacal, and sociopathic individuals, some of whom are big shots in the Bilderberg Council, the Council on Foreign Relations, and the Trilateral Commission Global Policymaking Groups. But these groups are not synonymous with the cabal, since BC, CFR, and TLC also contain some well-intentioned individuals. Now, I would just like to point out, in the interests of full disclosure, that I am one of those well-intentioned individuals. No, I'm not really part of the cabal in any way, but I do subscribe to Foreign Affairs, which is published by the Council on Foreign Relations. So I'm hoping to get a letter any day inviting me to be part of whatever the CFR has been doing for the last you know, hundred years. And it's interesting, this, this description of the cabal here, you've got the CFR, you've got the Trilateral Commission, you've got the Bilderbergs. This is, this is lazy, warmed over Cold War era conspiracy villains. This is, this is the, the path of least resistance to explaining this. Well, well who's, who are the bad guys? I don't know, Trilateral Commission. Just let's, let's move on to more dowsing rods. He also asserts that um, one of the ways you can you can maybe tell a star kid or one characteristic of star kids is uh, their adherence to or affinity for naturism. That's nudism in terms that most of us understand. Naturism always to me sounds like too close to naturalism. Um, naturism, nudism. Nudism and adherence to nudism is indicative of being fully attuned with the coming fifth world society. Here, Boylan is sitting at a beach writing, and this is what he writes as part of Star Kids. On this beach, I am stark naked, and surrounding me on the beach are 30 other stark naked people. All ages are represented, but the beach is dotted predominantly by college-age young people. Most all are well-tanned all over, indicating this is far from their first nude experience outdoors. 
In front of me is a lively co-ed game of frisbee being played by seven high-energy people at the edge of the water. Only one of them, a shy teenage boy, is wearing anything, and perhaps not coincidentally, he is the only one whom the dowsing rods I carry indicate is not a star kid. I've... I've got some questions. I've got some concerns. I feel distinctly uncomfortable, just as I did when I first read those words. It, it is... I, I Wow. Um... Now, now, he does admit this is not a scientific study and that not all star kids are nudists and not all nudists are star kids. However, he believes that star kids and star seeds, quote, find the nature affirmation and the underlying personal and social values of naturism very appealing, end quote. And that nudism, naturism is congruent, he says, with the consciousness and other values which star kids possess. Sure. Sure. Um. I'm not going to say anything more because, you know, I don't want to say anything legally actionable, but that's what he says about nudism, naturism, and star kids. And we will return for more star kids after this short break. Next time, it's a show about someone who's been requested by numerous people uh, for a while, Gabriel Green. Perhaps it'll inspire somebody to uh, to be a, a saucer-oriented politician. So any budding politicians out there, listen next time for um, when we talk about Gabe Green. You can check out past episodes, read some reviews of saucer-related materials, and support the show at saucerlife.com. You can also support us through the link in the show notes. Thank you very much to those who've donated in the past. Um, just can't tell you how, always how sort of shocked and appreciative we are. As always, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Saucer Life. Um, our email is thesaucerlife at gmail.com. Our postal address is Chizo Media, P.O. Box 68, Grand Blank, Michigan, 48480. And now, back to Star Kids. So, the Star Kids are going to need to help humanity be ready for the new world. And it's going to be rough. There's a time of transition coming, and Boylan describes this as, quote, a time of regional major geophysical upheavals, end quote. So volcanoes, earthquakes, tsunamis, all kinds of stuff, which is pretty standard. Actually, it's kind of outdated by 2004. A lot of this is very, very akin to Gordon Michael Scallion's style Earth Changes. If you remember guests like that on Coast to Coast AM back in the mid-90s that by the new millennium, we're going to have, you know, a, a time of, of, of ascension that would involve, you know, 90% of humanity dying horrible deaths. Boylan's sort of late getting on the train here. But there's going to be wars. There's going to be nukes going off. There's going to be epidemics. Mm, that's not great to see. He might have predicted that. Um, massive famines, crop failures, all that stuff. So when is this going to happen? Sometime before 2012. Um, how do we know? The events and time frame have been revealed by the star visitors to experiencers and, quote, through indigenous people's prophecies, end quote. People around the world who live under democratic political systems will, Boylan says, realize that the governments aren't legitimate, that the government doesn't represent their interests. And since, as his dowsing has, uh, has demonstrated, you know, the majority of the population is going to be star seeds and star kids, 
those star seeds and star kids are going to realize that since the government doesn't represent them, they will, quote, choose to disempower the government machine and set up alternative communities based on common values, end quote. Now, Boylan insists that he is not advocating or predicting a violent uprising or sedition or anything like that. But the star kids possess morally superior, that's his phrase, morally superior ways to change society. And so they're going to. And he gives the star kids um, a central role in remaking the world into a better place. So Boylan's narrative of the future is prophetic. It's received wisdom from an unearthly source. And some of this is traditionally prophetic. You know, the vision comes down, handed down in, in ancient prophecies. But in addition to the ancient prophecies, Boylan himself takes on the role of prophet. He, he learns things about the future from the extraterrestrials in the year 2003. Blue-skinned Zeta Reticulans had um, long been helping humanity in various ways. They built the pyramids, for example. Um, they're displeased with the way modern industrial nations are perpetuating the UFO cover-up. But they're also concerned by war and, and things like that and feel the need to address the problem. They're going to stop calling on Earth governments to abandon the cover-up. They're going to basically take their message directly to the people instead of communicating with governments. And you might say, well, isn't that what they've been doing all along? Yeah, it is. Um, he's sort of telling two stories here, but, but in order to sort of, you know, explain that, well, the, no, now it's going to be different that they're going to be talking to people directly. They're going to, to ramp up their contacts with people. They're, um, they're realizing that, that they're individual contacts to spread the word is proceeding too slowly and 2012 is coming and the final disclosure and acceptance of star visitor reality has to come by 2012. Why? Well, because it's 2004 when he's writing this and 2012 stuff was becoming big business around that time. If you remember, I remember all sorts of stuff. I think my favorite 2012 book was, uh, Daniel Pinchbeck's mostly because he got into a slap fight with Whitley Strieber on Strieber's show about stuff. That was, that was actually hilarious. Um, anyway, 2012, according to Boylan's aliens is the year that a time loop for earth will reach the end of its cycle. That's a quote, a time loop for earth will reach the end of its cycle. So yeah, the star visitors would save humans from this would want to save humans for this, but whether or not they're able to will sort of hinge on humans being prepared to accept their help. The populace of Earth needs to be informed about the star visitors so that they will be psychologically and socially prepared when it is time for the visitors to appear openly in a large-scale public way, and when they come to accomplish limited temporary retrievals of certain groups of people from zones at risk. Now, since time is short, the star visitors are going to engage in not just individual close encounters, but public close encounters, appearing to groups rather than individuals. This, Boylan says, will cause the UFO cover-up to implode and that all this is going to kick off no later than 2006. I know you noticed it. I noticed it as well. UFO truth came out, right? So the eventual wide-scale public revelation is going to have, you know, without question, an effect on religious beliefs. When the star visitors return, many of the population will interpret the luminous humanoid visitors as angels or saints. 
Further, at a certain point in the foreseeable future, the individuals that have historically been known as Jesus and Mother Mary will return also, along with others also known on Earth as Great Teacher Avatars. The churches will have a lot of explaining to do, when supposedly divine or saint figures descend from the sky and step out of Starcraft. At that point, the church's distortion of original messages will become obvious. The visitors are working with religious leaders to educate and prepare their people for this return, but like the leaders of the civic governments, church leaders generally are too timid to make public declarations to their congregants in the current government-sanctioned climate of cover-up and ridicule. So, Boylan's prediction harkens back to contactees, such as those who channeled various extraterrestrials that were, in reality, ascended masters. He's linking human spiritual traditions to his teachings on the extraterrestrials while also passing, gover- ju- passing government, passing judgment on the churches. The coming of the space visitors will shake up human religion and spirituality just the same as it's going to shake up the political affairs of the time. So speaking of religion, obviously the star visitors possess a moral and ethical system far in advance of whatever we possess here. I mean, clearly, right? So the 11 universal and 11 spiritual laws of the cosmos are a set of principles divulged to humanity by the star nations. Um, Remember the star nations, um, they are the governing organization of our Milky Way. And um, in Boylan's words, quote, conducts conduct Star Trek-like outreach expeditions to potentially inhabited star systems. And the laws or principles consist of 11 paired concepts. And these are, you know, very broad in some cases, universal principle of change and spiritual principle of growth. And there are others that are more explicitly linked to new age spiritual concepts, universal principle of light sound vibration and the spiritual principle of intuition or paranormal phenomenon universal principle of perception, spiritual principle of future sight. When they encounter inhabited planets, Boylan explains, they impart the wisdom of the 1111 principles, which are the highest information they're able to share, the highest spiritual information they're allowed to share with us. The laws were revealed to humanity via, quote, interstellar symbolic language glyphs, end quote, inscribed into a piece of wreckage from the craft that, here we go, crashed at Roswell in 1947. Boylan discovered the, the meaning of these 1111 principles when he looked for and, and found a translation of the mysterious glyphs. Hen Counton, Dakota, Yankton Sioux Chief Standing Elk Golden Eagle, took Dr. Boylan's photocopy of the Roswell craft symbols into a inipi, or sacred lodge, asked guidance from the Tunkusilas, Dakota word for the grandfather's spirits, spiritual persons from the stars, and learned that the symbols stood for the 11 universal principles and 11 spiritual principles which all star nation cultures accept as their common philosophical and spiritual foundation. So the way that Boylan here uses a, a you know, supposed Native American connection to provide some kind of legitimacy for his claims about the alien spiritual laws is not unique in the UFO field, not unique to Boylan. Um, his use of, of this trope, which usually blends the sort of ancient aliens approach of reinterpreting myth, um, sort of combine that with a little bit of a you know, cultural appropriation. It's, it's, it's part of his larger cosmos building. He's adding layers of detail to his tales of the star visitors. We could probably do a whole uh, whole episode on um, the way in which people use the indigenous cultures of others as a way to sort of bolster their UFO or their paranormal claims. But um, 
I don't think we have time to spend as many hours on that topic as it would take to, <laughs> to cover it. So he invites readers to inform themselves, that's his word, inform themselves, quote, on the ancient information given to the Hopi and Zuni tribes by the thin-framed, articulated-limbed star race, the I'm going to try to pronounce this correct. The Gansplicoids, Gansplicoids, whom the Hopian Indians call the ant people. I'm sure they do. Boylan continues his ongoing account of human star visitor relations in his 2012 book, The Human Star Nation's Connection, Key to History, Current Secrets, and Our Near Future. And this book goes into greater detail about the relationship between the star visitors and humanity and what this relationship means for the future of the planet. And the book is mostly comprised of material that originally appeared, on, appeared in some form on his website and on his, uh, his email list. And he also, in this book, shares details about his own connection to the star visitors and his place in the coming age, describing his role kind of as he's kind of a liaison between Earth and the star nations. Uh, the star nations are, quote, the Federation of Intelligent Citizens of Space. So I'm not sure if it's, it's a nation and, and what's the boundaries of the nation, intelligent civilizations. All of them? I guess all of them. This conception of sort of an outer space coalition or United Federation of Planets, it's not what he calls it, but that's what it is, is not completely different to what the contactees talked about back in the day. But what he does is he gives himself a role that includes active communication with the extraterrestrials. He is in the position of continually being in contact with these people. He's becoming kind of a contactee. Well, not kind of a contactee. He's a contactee. And in doing so, he establishes an alternative narrative, not only of human history. And one of these days we're going to do an episode. I sort of did it in the talk I did in Halifax, the last talk I did in Halifax, which is up on the website uh, from a couple of years ago. Um, the the history of, of claims that there are various treaties between human nations and alien nations. Uh, Boylan talks about that and also sort of recasts current contemporary events in a completely different light in order to sort of explain and and bolster his claims which is not uh, which is not unusual so what he does and this is this is interesting he he makes a transition from predicting the future to explaining the hidden present that nobody really sees but him and people who believe him his predictions and forecasts have all come to pass but because the the cabal is orchestrating this conspiracy against UFO truth. 99.9% of humanity has no idea what's truly happening. But luckily, Richard Boylan is there to, to tell us. And he gives us this, this alternate reality where a, a UFO extraterrestrial golden age is, is not quite here yet, but it's on the way really close. Any day now, you're going to see it. So He's transitioning into this role as somebody who's in constant contact with the aliens. He's a, a diplomat, basically, beginning in, in early 2005. And he explains that he was chosen as the counselor of slash for Earth, not counselor from Earth, counselor of slash for Earth. So the star nations, when they believe a planet's population is ready for contact, they'll choose a person from the planet to represent their people on their high council. And so Boylan is this person. He describes his duties as, quote, both representation and communication. He is the official communicator, 
the official pathway for communications to bring Earth issues to the High Council and vice versa. He represents humanity to the star nations and star nations to humanity. It's it's a weird sort of role because he's, you know, kind of working for both parties, which is not really how diplomatic positions work. Pick a side, pal. In any case, Boylan's positions on issues usually favor the wishes of the Star Nation's Council, and his job of communicating with the people of Earth is made more difficult by the Cabal's chokehold on the media. They, they don't let all the good information out, but um, because Boylan has a, a website and uh, an email list, he's able to get the word out to, um, to his people. So his role as counselor of slash for earth was not something that that just came out of nowhere it was almost preordained and pre-existing and here he explains the process and he's speaking in the third person and he switches back to first person at the end a member of high council volunteered to incarnate as a human and to grow up to full maturity about the time that human society was reaching this critical threshold for earth because that counselor who incarnated as a human was not immediately evident in his human form, Star Nation sent down another counselor, Ashioma, to find him. Ashioma spent many years searching, and in late February 2005 found him. Ashioma approached the human incarnate and asked him if he was willing to accept appointment as the counselor of slash for Earth. I consented. So Boylan is here sort of granting himself, or... That's, that's kind of snarky. Here, Boyland explains to us his dual nature. He's human, but with the soul or, or consciousness, I guess, of one of the extraterrestrials. I, uh, I assume this was one of those very common walk-in situations he mentioned. Ashioma was able to identify Boylan through, quote, his long-time activities to educate people about star visitors, including his work with star kids and the online platforms through which he communicates with his fans slash followers slash disciples, whatever you want to call them. So how do we find the right person to represent us to Earth and to represent human concerns to us? Well, anybody got a website? How about an email list? Let's uh, let's check on that. So, I don't want to be I don't I don't want to be snarky. I, I, I believe it's justified here. But if educational efforts and and reach, you know, having platforms in this reach were some of the prime considerations, there are more well-known people uh, in the field that that say honestly say similar things to what Boylan does, who might be you know have a little bigger platform. So, but you combine that with the star kids and, you know, maybe, maybe he's the right guy for the job. So one of the duties he had, uh, he talks about this was in 2005, the star visitors and through their government of the star nations held a hearing on the cabal's behavior. It's uh, it's called the report on September 29th, 2005 formal hearing and indictment. Ooh, indictment of the cabal on violations of universal laws. Uh, he reports that a variety of figures, including star visitors and star seeds, including Boylan, presented a variety of evidence about the cabal's activities. And Boylan himself testified about the ways the cabal had violated the laws of the universe. The Council of Earth presented cabal violations of the following universal laws. Law of free will, citing the hundreds of victims of intimidation and coercion he has interviewed. Law of change, citing cabal obstruction of Earth progress. Law of Movement and Balance, citing the emotional, mental, and spiritual imbalances caused by cabal torture and information suppression. 
law of innocence, truth, and family, citing especially the wholesale cabal sexual and psychological abuse of children to turn them into mind-control sex and psychic slaves and intelligence couriers, and the wholesale cabal disinformation campaigns. Law of Life, citing cabal murders and harvesting the life energies of ritual victims. And the Law of Love, citing wholesale perversions and Millab's gang rapes of kidnapped civilian victims during faked alien abductions. That's rough. That's some rough stuff the cabal's been up to. And it's, it's really not anything that we haven't heard about on this show before, but just like Boylan's invocation previously of the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations and the Bilderbergers. He's going back to ritual murders and um, mind control conspiracies and mind controlled sex slaves being used as couriers. This is straight out of this is straight out of 1990s sort of MK Ultra spinoff conspiracy theories like Project Monarch and Kathy O'Brien's Transformation of America and Bryce Taylor and, and, and things like that. He's sort of, of glomming on to these other aspects of conspiracy culture and, and folding it in, which is not unusual for the UFO field, but it's kind of jarring in the context of what Boylan usually talks about. But when the cabal comes up, it's almost like he doesn't have any original material to talk about with the cabal. So he has to reach out to other facets of conspiracy culture and bring them in and make that part of his story. So he's got this slightly original, more original than a lot of UFO people, conception about the star nations and his role as counselor and this this diplomatic aspect and, and we're putting the bad guys on trial in space, but nobody knows about it, but I'm telling you about it on my website. But when it comes to the activities of the cabal, he sort of reaches into a, a grab bag of, of pre-existing, very 90s-flavored stuff and pulls that out. So the cabal is found guilty. I'm as shocked as you are. So what does this mean for Earth? So now that the cabal is found guilty through the judicial process, the star visitors will be able to work against the cabal more actively, and this will speed up Earth's cosmic development. And eventually, the cabal will be gone. And what will that be like? There will be no more obstacles to our task of ushering in the long-prophesied fifth world, a cosmic, just, non-materialistic, peaceable, extended family society. Such a fifth world will incorporate the soon-to-be-liberated benefits of such elements as clean, non-petroleum energy, psychotronic healing machines, ZPE-powered hydroponic food-growing machines, gravity-shielded super-fast airliners and sea freighters, and the immense store of spiritual, metaphysical, and scientific knowledge that the star visitors wish to have publicly shared with the people of Earth. Sounds pretty sweet. But there's still a struggle to come, though. As, as, as always, we aren't quite to the promised land. The promised land is is right around the corner, but the cabal is not going to go quietly. And Boylan goes on to explain how the star visitors have used Boylan's 1,500-person email list to assess human attitudes to various questions. And one of those questions that was put to the email list was whether typical humans would welcome star visitor environmental scientists to help remedy Earth's environmental crisis. They would, uh, Boylan said. So, Let's look at that a little bit. Let me explain exactly what's going on here, because in in the way Boylan sort of presents it, as I just quoted, is kind of confusing. Basically, the star visitors want to know if the typical human would be welcoming of star visitor scientists. 
who are going to help clean up the Earth's atmosphere and all our environmental problems. And in order to determine the attitude of 7 billion humans on the planet, they decided to take a vote on Dr. Boylan's 1,500-person email list. That is the sample size, 1,500 out of 7 billion, 1,500 people who um, are devotees of Boylan's cosmic view. Not surprisingly, um, that was an overwhelmingly supported option. And while there's lots of star nations help humanity storylines that run through this book, this tale of alien scientists who come to Earth uh, to help with environmental concerns is, is, a, is a good sort of sort of case study of his overall narrative. So in June 2007, he contacts his followers via the email list and says, the star visitors need to make a new home on Earth uh, because their world is dying. It, it's straight up science fiction stuff. But they've got scientists, and these scientists want to help fix the Earth uh, to make it habitable for uh, for everybody. So they vote asking whether you know the general people, as opposed to cabal-controlled governments, would welcome them. The results were in. The results were, yes, 92.2%, no, 0.04%, and undecided 7.3%. So armed with this, what Boylan calls an overwhelming mandate, he and the star visitors agree to a small group of 12 beings from the planet Altamar to come to Earth. And fortunately, they have, quote, hybrid lungs and musculoskeletal structure. And this enables them to live on Earth without needing devices to adapt to Earth's atmosphere or gravity or, or anything else. But they're sensitive to light and uh, they will probably spend most of their time inside. So there's a dozen Altamarian scientists who are going to come here. They're going to work with human scientists as long as they aren't, uh, as long as they aren't working for the cabal too. And they're going to clean up the earth. And he provides brief biographies of the visiting scientists along with their chosen human names. And the way he does this, it's like he's, he's setting out characters for a movie. And I, it, this, a lot of these stories he tells are very much, they're, they're flights of fancy, um, as, we'll, as we'll see. But, but here's, here's one of the characters, or I'm sorry, one of the scientists. Amanda is a communications specialist and will work with translations and language problems such as helping clear up misunderstandings and reporting issues between human specialists and teams and star nations teams. She works with communications of every sort by way of telepathy, whether it be with the earth elementals, with various species, or whatever. Yes, that's the direct quote. That's how it's written in the book. She's going to help communicate with various problems or whatever. It ends with, or whatever. It, it just seems kind of like he didn't think that one through all the way. Um, there's some others that are, that are great, like this one. Three are botanical specialists. Fred One works above water with the green life forms in their respective land habitats. Alvin and Luke work with the green life forms beneath the water, one working with plants in freshwater environments and the other with plants in salt saline ecosystems. What kind of life forms are they working with? Green ones? In the water? Boylan's grasp of sort of the deep science is, is not coming through here, and that's also the case with uh, this group of scientists. Fred, too, he also likes the name Fred, works with the environment of fire in all its forms. Sam works with both fresh and saline water. 
Alfred specializes in the atmosphere. Tom works with Gaia, Mother Earth Being, and in remedying any disturbances in Earth. These folks actually merge with the element that they are working with to balance out that element molecularly. While these environmental scientists have a sense of humor, they take their work very seriously. So a couple of things here. I think when he says the environment of fire at the beginning, he means element because what he's looking at here and what he's presenting are the elements of earth, air, fire, and water, which are not elements. I mean, I got really bad grades in my high school science classes, and even I know we've moved beyond earth, air, fire, and water as elements, but they're fixing them molecularly. So I assume it's okay. And I'm not sure what sense of humor he's talking about. I read this whole section numerous times trying to figure out what was supposed to be funny. And the only thing I can come up with is he thinks they're being all cute and clever because one is named Fred one and another one is named Fred two. Okay. One more biography of our Altamarian scientists. The 12th scientist is Gene, overall administrator for the team. He is similar to Amanda, but he works mostly with the various parties like a messenger of sorts, and he will facilitate communication with humans as well. He'll work with the various parties as a messenger of sorts. I get the impression that Boylan had all of his roles filled and he counted them and he only came up with 11. So he had to come up with another guy um, to do this. And so uh, Gene's the administrator and he'll basically do what Amanda does, but with the various parties. So these Altamarians, they show up in, um, in, on Earth, and uh, he says that their work will be open soon enough to public view, and this will help dissolve the UFO cover-up. So in, in response to concerns about the human reaction to these changes and that aliens are making these changes to Earth, and he tells the Altamarians that, that humanity is, is ready and, and welcoming because he took a poll on his email newsletter list. And the Altamarians, they, they have a simple message for humanity. As stated by communication specialist Amanda, we come in peace to help. So the Altamarians arrive in January 2008, and they worked with anti-cabal human allies to provide alternatives to fossil fuels and nuclear energy production, as well as dismantling harmful devices being used by the cabal to destroy the Earth for their own selfish reasons. Also, Boylan is engaging with several joint psychic exercises using the telepathic assistance of the star kids and the star seeds. Um, and they are accomplishing massive victories against the cabal. They are destroying. These are conspiracy theory favorites. They're destroying the harp array. They're taking out the chemtrails. Boylan and his allies are also engaged in exercises to quote, stop an impending cabal global plague bio war operation. Here's another one a joint psychic exercise to deflect an inbound, potentially devastating asteroid by telekinesis and other similar adventures. His summaries of these offensives rely upon readers accepting his word that the threat is real and that the psychic elimination of the threat is real and that all of this actually happened. And rarely do these events or these threats have a basis in events that are going on at the time. Sometimes they do. Uh, in 2009, when the H1N1 uh, virus was going around, Boylan presented a psychic mission, uh, similarly unverifiable, seeking psychic help to, quote, neutralize the lethal precursor genetics bioengineered into the cabal's H1N1 variant 2 virus to trigger a fatal reaction in persons immunized with swine flu vaccine. End quote. So I think that is reading the report. Basically, there was a secret plan to 
have a second vaccine for a different H1N1 variant that would kill people who had already been vaccinated for the swine flu variant of H1N1. It turns into kind of an anti-vaccination thing as he's telling people, you know, you know, you, you can get some vaccines, but this one vaccine is is a cabal plot to kill people. So that goes into a weird direction. But luckily, the psychic joint exercise worked. So since 2012, uh, when his last book was published, updates have gone to his website, always following a consistent pattern of revealing what the star visitors or star nations are doing and how the cabal is futilely attempting to stymie them. But the cabal is, is clever enough that they're, they're still keeping the public in the dark for the most part, unless you read Dr. Boylan's stuff. One really good example of how persistent and repetitive these uh, these visions for the future of humanity are is an article on his website that first appeared in April 2006, and it was titled 2017, The Cabal's Last Stand, Starseeds Coming Victory in a Peaceful Velvet Revolution. Yes, that title had two colons in it, which is annoying. Let's take a look at this. Aware starseeds and star kids are acting in ways which promote our society's changing into a reformed and transformed one. That starseed revolution will eventually sweep through global society like the hippie revolution of the 60s did, and even more so. The dark energy global plutocratic oligarchy, the cabal, fear and resist such change, but their end is coming. The clash between those of the light and those of the dark will escalate to a peak in 2017, but the cabal will not go down without a fight. The lightworkers versus cabal endgame struggle can already be seen in various places around the globe. Revolution, like the hippies. Okay, so the cabal is not happy about this, but the end is coming. It's inevitable, and it sounds like 2017 is going to be rough. What's the cabal got planned? The cabal are increasingly becoming afraid, angry, and desperate with their backs to the wall. The cabal's campaign of escalating resistance to starseeds and other lightworkers' efforts to improve global society will have reached a peak in late 2017, with the cabal using even more of their cabal-nurtured terrorist assets to create disruption through fake Islam jihadist terror violence as the cabal desperately try to slow down the starseed revolution. The cabal's current day disruptive violence is conducted by their finance stooges, Al-Qaeda, ISIL, Boko Haram, Chechen extremists, Al-Shabaab, etc. But one should not ignore the cabal's other means of domination and control through transnational financial manipulations, their international drug trade cartels, sex trafficking, and rigging elections to foist their politician proxies onto the public. The cabal's dirty war against increasingly organized starseeds and other lightworkers will not be like conventional past wars. Although the cabal will directly use terrorist violence, they will more sneakily manipulate susceptible people in positions of power and influence into creating conditions of chaos, deprivation, marginalization, and intimidation, which the cabal see as favoring their survival as the global apex power group. The cabal and their proxies may only occasionally use police and military force, but mostly they will rely on using intimidation, bullying, bribery, negative attack propaganda, and global disruptions to keep things stirred up and prolong the status quo where they are on top. I think it's interesting the way he lumps all sort of Islamist terrorism into one group. All these groups are they're, they're basically the same. They're all just sort of fake Islam jihadism. I'd really like to see a meeting where he explains that to members of these groups. So this use of, of sort of in the news 
actually by 2017, not as much in the news. Terrorist groups is mostly a way to explain everything that happens in the news as part of the cabal lightworker battle. It's it's kind of clever. It's a little more clever than simply making things up and expecting people to believe that these globally world-changing events like Altamarian scientists getting rid of the chemtrails or whatever actually happen. So, you know, tying it into the news is is kind of clever. So the cabal is gonna is gonna just just hit us with everything they have. What's going to turn the tide? Because we know the good guys are gonna win. By early 2017, enough star kids and mature star seeds will have answered the call to join together into bands of light warriors using psychic tools, internet wizardry, social media, music messaging, and political organizing to resist and defeat the cabal, who will be desperate to stop the star seeds' worldwide societal makeover. Star seeds and mature star kids will increasingly be forming themselves into light worker action groups, conducting training and getting down to business. The star seeds and psychically gifted regular humans will rely heavily on psychic skills and tools to counter cabal attacks and to confuse and subdue their cabal opponents, who can then be rounded up and taken out of circulation by non-corrupt law enforcement and national transnational security forces. The star seeds and lightworkers will resist and defeat the cabal, using largely non-violent and psychic means whenever possible. Their battle cry could well be, use the force, Luke. Use the force, Luke. It's just painful, isn't it? So what's great about this is there really won't be a way to tell what the lightworkers are actually doing or if they're doing anything at all. He could claim anything, like many of his stories. He could just claim that, well, you know, there's a massive battle over Las Vegas last night as the lightworkers, you know, sat in a suite at a hotel and concentrated very hard, used their psychic powers to destroy laser satellites in orbit that were going to destroy all major cities on earth as the cabal fights its last battle for supremacy or something like that i'm also amused by uh, his his prediction that they will use they will use internet wizardry and social media so basically they're going to meme their way to victory over the cabal let's see how this uh this velvet revolution ends by conducting a primarily non-violent protest, rebellion, revolution by persuasion and example, star seats will demonstrate the new paradigm demonstrated by Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and Cesar Chavez, how to change oppressive elements in society without seeking bloodshed. Star seed and light worker resistance will be done in accordance with the 11 universal laws and the 11 spiritual laws of the cosmos. Will any star kids and star seeds die in this conflict? By using psychic skills of precognition, intuition, reading others' energy fields, remote viewing, future seeing, telepathic remote influencing, and telekinetic defensive measures, star seeds and star kids can keep themselves mostly out of harm's way. Thus, comparatively few star seeds and star kids will die in the struggle. Prepare now, get active, and connect with others of the light side. Seek out what you can do to help release Earth from cabal control help build a transformed, family-like global society, and thus create the conditions for humankind to fully flourish as a remade society ready for its cosmic destiny. Now, once again, he gets into a weird sort of area by drawing this, this comparison to Gandhi and King and Chavez. The, the star kids and the star seeds apparently are, are oppressed peoples like uh, like migrant workers or like African-Americans or like the you know victims of European colonialism. Uh, apparently that's the, that's the parallel he's drawing. Now you might say, well, he's just talking about the nonviolent methods, but he's 
he doesn't mention Thoreau, does he? He's talking about nonviolent methods specifically through the lens of, um, you know, terrestrially oppressed people here on earth, you know, actual historical things and, and sort of casting himself and his, uh, and his, his fellow light workers in that same vein, which is, which is awkward. So the Velvet Revolution, which I hate him using that because that's a specific reference to a specific historical event. It's it's the the separation of of the Czech Republic and and Slovakia after the Cold War. That we uh, you can't just take things and call them stuff because you like how it sounds. And this doesn't sound like it's going to be a Velvet Revolution anyway. It sounds like a lot of people are going to die. Um, except the ones who are using the force. But anyway, whatever you want to call this, it didn't happen in 2017, but Boylan, he's, he's, he's tenacious. He's undeterred. He changes nothing else about the page and he replaces all instances of 2017 in the article with 2018. He doesn't change the actual file on the website, which remains 2017 cabal last stand dot HTML. He just retitles the link on the main webpage. 2018, the Cabal's last stand, Starseed's coming victory in the peaceful Velvet Revolution. And when 2018 comes and goes without a revolution, he updates the document to read 2019. And in 2020, heading into 2021, Boylan did not even bother updating the year within the article. It remains 2019, but the link on the homepage is updated to uh, to read 2020 to 2021, the Cabal's last stand. A revolution by Starseeds will sweep away the Cabal oligarchs, their minions, and their empires. So he does update that title a little bit. And he offers no explanation for why the revolution has not yet occurred. Instead, he just pushes on with multiple claims, increasingly brief and combined with brief glosses on how current news stories illustrate the truth of star visitors' presence and links to YouTube videos and things like that when they bolster his claims. The most recent item on the page appeared in the autumn of 2020. Soon, peaceful visitors from the stars will arrive in a 20-mile-long mothership, which will hover over United Nations headquarters in New York City for two hours. The purpose of this visit is to make clear that there are other people in our galaxy and that UFOs are real. The peaceful hover will provide an opportunity for many to see an actual extraterrestrial spaceship clearly and take pictures of it. Then the ship will depart. Later, some star visitors will return to talk with UN leaders and delegates about being of assistance, including help with fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. Star Nations, the organization of peaceful civilizations in our Milky Way galaxy, hopes very soon to sign a treaty of peace and friendship with the United Nations of Earth. So this kind of seems to contradict Boylan's longstanding claims that there's been contact between the aliens and Earth-based governments for, for decades. And as of right now... Uh, Boylan has not confirmed nor expanded upon this amazing public display of extraterrestrial support. And what's interesting is, you know, the, the mothership will appear and then later on they'll help us with COVID. Why wait? Why wasn't this solved in 2019? They solved other things, right? There were joint psychic exercises to fix all sorts of problems. Why not this? Why didn't the star seeds and the star kids and Boylan and, and other psychically gifted humans, why did they not fix this? Why fix the chemtrails, but not fix this global pandemic that has been fairly devastating? Boylan doesn't talk about it because it's real. And it's hard to talk about real things when you've made your entire career making up fantasies. And that sounds a little harsh, a little harsher than I, than I usually am, 
But Boylan is an interesting case because he's made this transition over time from an abduction researcher who with, you know, with a PhD in, in psychology and, and all sorts of actual credentials doing the 1990s style abduction hypnosis thing on the sweetness and light side of the spectrum. And then, you know, as he is sort of driven out of the psychology field, he sort of transitions to the conspiracy side of it, talking more and more about the cabal. And then it becomes the star kids thing. And then it becomes the counselor of slash for earth intergalactic diplomacy thing. And all the way it's getting further and further and further from any basis in any sort of objectively verifiable reality. He becomes a contactee in in the sense that he is having personal experiences and conversations with the extraterrestrials and he is promulgating a you know distinctively sort of earth-based economic and environmental and political message. It's it's very much in that same vein, but it all comes across as overly detailed. These these stories about, you know, their secret missions to, you know, psychically free the aliens who are being held captive in underground bases by the cabal, it all comes across as attempts to write fiction. If we look back to his novel, you know, um, Project Epiphany, where he fictionalized these things, you get the impression with the stuff he's written since then that he really would like to just get back to writing fiction because these things read as as fictional, not because they're made up necessarily, but because they're they're presented in a in a much more dramatic way than uh, than than usual. So he's an interesting case. Uh, I like the uh, diplomacy aspect. I think it's it's got a very 1950s 1960s vibe to it. But I've always had a difficult time sort of listing Boylan in in my list of favorite contactees or favorite UFO figures. And I, I think the reason for that is, and we didn't you know do any of this in this episode for copyright reasons. But if you find any interviews, radio interviews with Boylan going back to the 1990s, his tone is so arrogant. He just comes across as such a know-it-all and and so sure that he's right when he's talking about things that it's hard to objectively prove you're right about, you know? So his, his, his tone, his attitude has always just rubbed me the wrong way. So if this comes across in this episode as, as a little bit snarkier than usual, it's because I've, I've never really felt a connection to, to Boylan's work. It was difficult working on this. Um, this, section that I've been researching that the research that went into this episode took far longer than it should have because it, it's so hard to write rapidly and enthusiastically about a subject or a person you just don't like um, and that you just that just rubs you the wrong way so hopefully that didn't come across too bad in this episode um, hope you enjoyed it and we will return thank you for listening to this very long episode. The episodes have been longer this year for some reason, but thanks for listening. The associate producer of The Saucer Life is Simpson J. Hanover III, and The Saucer Life is a production of Chizo Media LLC, where we're working for the good of mankind along the lines of truth, but we will never ask you to participate in a joint psychic exercise. No, we won't. I, I thought about it. No, we won't. Till next time, keep watching the skies because the skies are watching you. <laughs>